Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. We have a real treat in store for you today. We have a sister episode, one where I break down the news of today. So go download that one and listen to it. But this one is just an exclusive conversation with the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson. He's an American hero. He has lived the hero's journey, and he grew up in poverty with a single mother and became a neurosurgeon and now is head of housing and urban development for the United States government. He does a tremendous job articulating the values that made America the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. Before we get started, email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Type in Charlie Kirk, show your podcast provider, hit subscribe, leave those five-star reviews. We are giving away 50 signed copies of the MAGA Doctrine throughout the next month. All you have to do is email me, freedom at charliekirk.com, and say you listened to the Ben Carson episode, and you'll be entered to win 50 signed copies of the MAGA Doctrine. We are sending dozens every single day to our winners. And make sure you are subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show. Buckle up, everybody. You're going to love this conversation with the one and the only Dr. Ben Carson. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. We are honored to be joined today with the Secretary for Housing and Urban Development, a friend of mine, someone who is a hero to our country, and just an amazing story, Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Secretary Carson, thank you so much for joining our show. I am absolutely thrilled to be with you. So there's a lot happening in our country right now, uh, Dr. Carson, and a lot happening in our inner cities. Uh, You are running the housing and urban development. What's your take on everything that's happening with the rioting and the looting and the protesting? Well, obviously, uh, I'm very concerned, like uh, many other people, after seeing something so egregious take place uh, in our country. Uh, You would think that we were over such things, but uh, it it tells us a lot. For instance, this uh, particular officer had had a number of infractions over the years. Um, he should have been dealt with uh, appropriately, retrained, dismissed, whatever. This really should have never happened. And, of course, the other officers who were engaged uh, should clearly have stopped uh, what was uh, a clear-cut crime. Having said all of that, we also need to recognize that uh, destroying a neighborhood, destroying businesses, destroying people's livelihood. Uh, makes absolutely no sense. There's there's no circumstance under which that is helpful. So we all need to kind of take a step back uh, 
instead of getting in our respective corners and hurling insults at each other. And, and, and let's take this as a time when we can ask ourselves, what are the real problems? And not allow those who always show up to manipulate situations like this. Uh, because the you know, United States of America is an extraordinary nation. You know, this is the place where people form caravans to get into. Other places they form caravans to get out of. This is a great place that we have. And, uh, you know, is it perfect? Of course not. And have we made mistakes? Of course we have. And can we learn from them? Of course we can. That's what we really have to be thinking about as a nation. And let's let's learn from this situation and let's move forward. But, you know, we we really need to evaluate facts here. You know, there are those who would have you believe that, you know, we just happened to catch this atrocious deed, but this is happening every day. That's not even close to being true. It's blatantly false. We've made enormous progress there. And there are those who would have you believe that the police are our enemies. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. Can you imagine even living for 24 hours with no police? Have you seen those purge movies? Okay, that's the way it would be. Okay, uh, the police are friends. Are there rotten police? Absolutely. Are there rotten lawyers? Yep. Rotten doctors. Rotten broadcasters. There are rotten people in everywhere. Do we paint the entire profession or the entire group based on that? So why are we so anxious to do that with the police? So, so Dr. Carson, uh, Dr. Carson, you said we need to focus on the issues that really matter. Can you explain what that is and elaborate on it, especially when it comes to urban America? Yeah, well, we need to recognize that there are special circumstances that, that exist, particularly in urban America you have a large number of the children who are being raised there, particularly the male children, without a father figure, without a major authority figure in their lives. And uh, the first authority figure they run into, the police officer, or someone in their neighborhood who's better than they are. In either case, it frequently does not work out well. Uh, often, you know, if they survive, they end up in the penal system, with little education, little in the way of skills. When they leave the penal system, guess what? Still little education, little in the way of skills. So what are they going to do? The same thing that got them in there in the first place, except now they're more hardened in the way that they do it. We need to understand those kind of dynamics and, and do things like one of the uh, reentry centers that I visited down in Jacksonville, Florida, where they have five employers who would go into the prison establish relationships with some of these young men, give them some training, give them a job while they were still in jail. So when they came out, they had a very different avenue to pursue than what they had before. The recidivism rate dropped enormously. They were good workers. Now, instead of five employers doing that, they have 135 employers. They have more jobs and they have people who can take them. And I had a chance to sit down with some of these former inmates, both male and female, well-dressed, men had on suits, ladies well-dressed, expressed themselves well. They were so appreciative of having a second chance. We have to start thinking about our people that way. Now, there are some who are just rotten, hardened criminals. We have to come to grips with that, too. And we have to have enough discernment to determine, you know, who's salvageable and who needs to be thrown away. The key needs to be thrown away. We need to understand that as a society. But, uh, you know, 
whenever I see somebody, uh, no matter who it is, particularly rotten, nasty people, I always say to myself, that used to be a cute little baby. I wonder what happened to them. And, uh, you know, we just start thinking, are there people who can be salvaged? And uh, it's only going to help our country because we only have 330 million people. China and India both have four times that many. If we don't develop all of our people, we're not going to be able to compete in the future. It's time to build the wall around your computer. There are foreign adversaries all across the world that want in on your computer. What would happen if they saw your text messages, your emails, your credit card information, your most sensitive data? Well, if you do not have a software that is built in America by Americans, you might as well just hand your phone over and your computer over to the Chinese Communist Party. That's why you need PCMatic. It's PCMatic.com slash Charlie. They're a whitelist next generation antivirus system designed to stop modern threats like ransomware. Independent testing, AV test, just named PCMatic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the best performance award for 2019. Only PCMatic has American research development and support. PCMatic's competition is made in foreign countries, many where the viruses originate. PCMatic protects Windows computers, including XP Vista, including XP Vista, Windows servers, Macs, MacBooks, Androids, phones, and tablets. You can visit the offer at PCMatic.com slash Charlie. That's PCMatic.com slash Charlie. PCMatic has offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. It's PCMatic.com slash Charlie. PCMatic.com slash Charlie. Well, Dr. Carson, can you tell our audience a little bit about your story? Because you grew up in poverty. You grew up in um, difficult circumstances. And you are one of the most accomplished neurosurgeons in the history of the modern era, accomplishing things that people still write books about. And you don't get the credit you deserve because you are a conservative. That's me saying it, not you. It's incredible. Um, you ran John Hopkins. You now run Housing and Urban Development. Tell us your story. I think you can give a lot of people inspiration. Well, I think uh, the real key for me was my mother. My story is really my mother's story. You know, she was came out of a huge family in rural Tennessee, got married when she was 13, trying to escape dire poverty, moved to Detroit. Uh, my father was a factory worker. Uh, she discovered after a while that he was a bigamist, had another family. There she was trying to raise two young sons all by herself with less than a third grade education. Uh, she worked as a domestic, uh, cleaning other people's houses, but she was really a spy because uh, she was spying on them, because she wanted to know how come they were so successful and people who lived where we were were so unsuccessful. And uh, she concluded it's because they read a lot of books. They didn't watch a lot of TV. They were always studying and figuring things out. She came home and imposed that on me and my brother. We were not happy campers. And uh, in today's world, we probably would have called social services and they'd have taken her away in handcuffs. But, you know, we had to deal with it. But, you know, I started liking reading those books after a while that she made us read. And uh, I read about scientists and philosophers and entrepreneurs. And I began to recognize that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. Even though everybody around was always saying the system's against you and there's all these hurdles and nobody wants you to succeed and they're all racist. You know, I just sit, forget about that mess. You know, uh, I'm going to concentrate on what I need to do. My brother, the same thing. 
I became a brain surgeon. He became a rocket scientist. You know, my, my, my mother's friends were always criticizing her for what she was doing, but she got the last laugh. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Carson, there's people marching in the streets at the recording of this podcast right now saying that America's unjust, that a story like yours cannot happen. And some of those individuals are part of a group called Black Lives Matter. What's your message to them? And especially, what's your message to individuals listening to this podcast that are kind of under accusations from Black Lives Matter just because they're conservatives? I would say we need to recognize that we, the American people, are the envy of the world, and we are not each other's enemies. The only destruction that can come to this country will come from within. Divide and conquer. That has been the goal of some for a very long period of time. Do we really want to preserve what is good and what is right? And I'm not saying that America is perfect or ever has been perfect. It never will be perfect because it's composed of people and people are not perfect. But what you really want and what we all really want are opportunities. Think about this. Before the COVID uh, crisis struck us, unemployment rates were the lowest in recorded history for Blacks, Hispanics, Asian Americans, lowest in 71 years for females. Poverty rates tremendously decreased, particularly for African Americans. Opportunities abounding. Opportunity zones thriving throughout the country vision centers popping up all over the place, mechanisms whereby people could climb those ladders of opportunity. We need to get back to that. Uh, the the COVID-19 crisis, all of this strife that's going on right now, those are things that are detracting from the ability to improve people's lives. We must stay focused on the things that we were doing to get people out of poverty and get them to a point of self-sufficiency. That will benefit every single one of us. The other thing I would say is we live in a culture where we've been encouraged to always point the finger at somebody else and to say that they're the problem. I think we should all just be willing to look in the mirror and say, what are you doing? What are you doing in your sphere of influence? Is it helpful or is it hurtful? Ask yourself that question. And, and as I, I think you would agree with this, Dr. Carson, is that growing up, when you were growing up, parents used to tell their kids, you're the problem and America is great. Now we tell our kids, you're great and America is the problem. And I think that packages it rather you know, succinctly. And you know, President John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, Ask what you can do for your country. When we start looking at others and not make ourselves the central focus, a lot of things change. I can tell you, you know, my personal life, you know, I used to have this horrendous temper and it got me into a lot of trouble uh, until the day that I tried to stab somebody. And as I was contemplating my life in the bathroom and praying and reading the Bible, it came to me that the reason I was so angry all the time is because everything was about me. Somebody was in my space. They did this to me. They took me, you know, it was always about me. And I, and I said, if you learn how to step outside of the center of the circle, 
and let it be about somebody else and try to understand what's going on with them, it will change. That was the last day I ever had an angry outburst. Wow, what a beautiful transformation story. America's ready to get back to work, but to win in the new economy, you need every advantage to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the ability to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of top strategies they are using as America reopens. You can go right now to seven actions businesses need to take right now to schedule your free product tour guide at netsuite.com slash Kirk. That's netsuite.com slash Kirk. Reopen America. Take the test. netsuite.com slash Kirk. I want to talk to you about your faith in a second, but can you also just elaborate further? You mentioned that some of the successes and the policy accomplishments of HUD uh, prior, obviously, to some, you know, the trajectory prior to COVID. Can you talk about some of the reforms you've been putting forth in affordable housing and through HUD? Well, uh, you know, you probably noticed over the last three years that we've gone from an organization that tries to just shelter people to an organization that tries to give people self-sufficiency. And uh, that's why we've enacted uh, policies uh oriented in that direction. We've been uh, on a national uh, effort to increase the amount of affordable housing, uh, recognizing that with the um, AFFH, uh, which before just was a very complex bunch of things, hoops that people had to jump through, we said that's not the real reason that there's segregation. The real reason there's segregation is because people can only afford to live in certain places. And why don't we fix that problem? But, you know, there's so many regulatory barriers in the way. So we've been working with the states and with the local officials on how to remove those those barriers. We've been working on the whole concept of NIMBYism, uh, not in my backyard, Uh I understand NIMBYism. Most people's uh, home is their most valuable thing, and the last thing they want is one of these giant uh, government buildings uh, that nobody takes care of that becomes the nidus for crime and prostitution and everything. Guess what? We don't do that anymore. Now we're talking about public-private partnerships. We're talking about holistic developments, much smaller things that fit into the architecture and cultural uh, environment. Uh, with appropriate uh, support. And when it's public-private, you tend to have people who are very interested in making sure that it's maintained. Uh, one of the things that's been discovered during all this process is that we have tremendous amount of innovative people here and entrepreneurial people. And we have to be able to uh, let them help with this problem. We can't block them at every turn with uh, with regulations that are archaic and meant for a different time. So we're looking at that. We have Envision Centers springing up all over the country now. They take advantage of things that already exist that were there to help people, but they're dispersed all over the city. Uh, and therefore, are, 
rendered useless to most of the people. Bringing those all together under one roof and then coordinating also with multiple other federal agencies and state agencies so that people can go in there and be taken care of. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, this would probably be shocking to a lot of people, but in one of our envision centers in a very liberal city, um, they tried to pay the envision center to take the name envision center off. A hundred thousand dollars, they said, we'll give you, because they didn't want to associate it with this administration. How crazy is that? They rejected the offer, by the way. I went there. Wow. Buzz of activity, people were getting all kind of help. You know, we have to stop allowing ourselves to be divided, you know, by all of these ideological things. This is craziness. It's not going to help us. It will only destroy us. Stop people and think about the advantages we have of living in this country, and don't let anybody take that away from us by making us hate each other. Well, Secretary Carson, on that note, I get so many emails and questions and accusations sometimes on social media where people say America is a racist country. Can you help us unpack that one? Well, are there racist people in America? Yes. Are there racist people in England? Yes. Are there in Australia? Yes. Are there in Russia? You know, some liberal person will say, Dr. Carson says, the Australians are racist. You know, that's what they'll take out of that statement. My point is that, you know, there are people who are defective in their character everywhere. But you tend to find what you're looking for. If, if I say something to you and you've already determined that I'm a racist, you're going to, you're going to interpret what I'm saying as a racist statement. And if you actually know who I am and you know my heart, you know that, of course, it's not a racist statement because I believe that God made all of us. God loves all of us. Jesus died for all of us. And racism is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, why would you judge somebody on the basis of their skin color or their hair texture or the width of their nose? That's craziness. It's their brain. It's their character. That's what makes the difference. Uh, as a brain surgeon, I probably realize that more than most, you know, <laughs> when I open well, this and I'm operating on that brain, I can't tell whether that's a Chinese brain or a, an Iranian brain or an Irish brain. They're all the same. They act the same. They react the same way. And uh, well, that's what we really need to be thinking about. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and more. HR manager salaries are not cheap, an average of over $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager and craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. That's right. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding terminations, they customize your policy to fit your business. And they help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, there are no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Kirk right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Kirk, Bambi.com slash Kirk. Spell BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash Kirk. 
Well, so Dr. Carson, another piece of information I'd love you to talk about that I've heard you comment on before in your books is what happened to black America post-1960s and 70s. Because I was poring over data, and, and it showed that actually black women were more likely to be married than white women up until the 1970s, that black poverty rates were actually going down, that black incomes, if uninterrupted at the trajectory, were actually far exceeding white incomes. What happened? Well, unfortunately, uh, and, and I don't think it was necessarily intentional, although it could have been, uh, you know, the great anti-poverty programs, there, there, you poor little thing, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, and, you know, people began to become dependent. Instead of depending on themselves, their families, and their communities, they began to become dependent upon a government. And a government that sometimes wasn't thinking about how you move people along, but simply thinking about, well, we got this many people out of poverty. We got this many people into this housing project. We got this many people into this uh, educational program or whatever without looking at the results of those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember with the No Child Left Behind program, you know, I was in Baltimore at the time, and there were like three or four terribly failing schools. And, uh, you know, they were going to send those kids to other schools where they could get a proper education. And the politicians surrounded those schools and said, no, these are our schools. These are our failing schools. These are our failing students. You may not touch them. What a bunch of crap. Um, you know, we have got to do better than this. We've got to do better than this for our people. We need to develop all of our people. You know, America has plenty of resources and plenty of opportunities for everyone. We just need to start thinking in a different way. And I, I think that that's really well said. So I... I think part of the solution, and maybe you can affirm this, is rebuilding the black family and getting fathers back in the home and the black church. What can our listeners advocate for? And you could say this from firsthand experience. And also, you run the department of our government that deals with these issues more so than most. Uh, no question about it. Um, you, you think about the things, for, for instance, that the African-American community have been through slavery and, uh, you know, post-slavery, uh, uh, Jim Crow, uh, severe racism and segregation. Why were they able to get through all of that? Because they had strong families and strong faith. And as things began to occur, like some of these welfare systems that destroyed the family core, actually made it more difficult if you had an intact family. Uh, sometimes uh, some of the, the women, and in fact, believe it or not, some of the residual of that is still in place. And, you know, I've been fighting to try to get rid of some of the, the, the policies that, for instance, if you are living in a household and the income goes up in that household, then your rent goes up automatically. And, and so, like, you, you can never make any progress. Uh, I, I want to get rid of that so badly, but I'm fought at every turn, you know, by people on the Hill. Uh, and I'm going to keep fighting it, obviously. 
because we want people to make progress. We want them to have the same kind of incentives as everybody else. We want people to be able to save money uh, if they're making more money so that they can make a down payment, so that they can buy a house, which is the primary mechanism of wealth accumulation in this country. The average renter has a net worth of $5,000. The average homeowner, $200,000. That's a 40-fold difference. That's the thing that accounts for the big wealth gap that's continuing to grow. These are the kinds of things that we have to fix. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And it's harder than ever for people to buy in inner cities because it happens is that renters barely get by and those people that can afford to build equity are at the higher income distribution. And so therefore, the value of those units go up so disproportionately that the renters will never be able to get into that category unless you know, they leave the city and you see those statistics. So Dr. Carson, I, I will say one thing there, there is an opportunity for us here, secondary to the COVID-19 crisis. And that is we've learned that a lot of people can work from home now. Teleworking, I think is going to increase dramatically as a result of that. A lot of office space is going to become available, much of which can be converted to living quarters which may be extremely helpful uh, in, in terms of crowding in the city and things of that nature. So, so Secretary Carson, I want to ask you a two-part question, which I wouldn't even think I'd have to ask you this question a couple of years ago, but I think your voice could be very helpful about it. What is your message to white Americans who are apologizing for their white privilege? And then what's your message to black Americans that are patrolling the streets demanding that they're entitled to that apology. In fact, we're seeing videos of black Americans go up to white individuals and surround them and make them kneel for an apology. I thought this was a joke until hundreds of these videos started to materialize. What's your message to this? My, my message to white Americans and to black Americans and to all Americans is don't allow your color to define your character and who you are. It's your brain. It's the brain that separates us from the animals. It's the brain that is responsible for the development of so many things in our society. If you're black, also, all you need to do is take a walk down the street. And well, first of all, you gotta have shoes on, right? It was Jan Motzliger, a black man who invented the automatic shoe lasting machine, which revolutionized the shoe industry. And you walk into a clean street. And it was Brooks, Harold Brooks, who invented the street sweeper. And down that street comes a truck. It was Frederick Jones, who invented the refrigeration system for trucks, later adopted for airplanes and boats. And, and then it comes to a stoplight. Garrett Morgan, the black man, invented the stoplight. And the gas mask saved lots of lives during the war. And I could just go on and on as I walk down the street. But here's the great thing about America. I could take that same walk down the street for virtually any ethnic group. Show you incredible things that they contributed. We've all contributed. This country belongs to all of us. And we all need to be doing everything we can to make it as great as possible. Amen. Well, in closing, Dr. Carson, can you talk about your faith a little bit? I see a thing that says Jesus behind you. You mentioned it earlier. Can you talk about the importance of your faith and the transformation that it, that it played in your life? 
Well, it's the most important thing in my life, uh, my relationship with God and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Believe me, uh, it was much easier in the private sector. And particularly after I retired, you know, I was making gobs of money, could do anything I wanted to do. It was very, very uh, nice. But I recognized that I have a responsibility that God put me in this position. I never intended to go into the political arena. It was the last thing. If you had told me 10 years ago I was going to be in a political arena, I would have told you, you're crazy. I said, that's the last thing I would ever do. And yet, the next thing I knew, I was giving a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. Everybody started resonating with it, saying, you should run for president. I thought they were crazy. I said, I'm not running for president. You're nuts. Um, but every place I went, there were people with placards from Denver. I finally said, Lord, if you really want me to do this, you know, I don't have a Rolodex with all those names on it, the relationships, a war chest, an organization. Oh, are you? Re it's, that's ridiculous. I said, but if you want me to do it, you have to supply all those things because I'm not lifting a finger to do it. Next thing I knew, we had all those things. That organization was raising more money each month than the RNC. I said, okay, I'll do it. But, uh, you know, the end result was I ended up where I am now, never intending to be here. But obviously, you know, the Bible says that he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Proverbs 14:31. We need to look out for the poor people. There's a tremendous emphasis on that. But we're not just giving them handouts. We have to give them a handout. We have to show them a better way. And we have to be uh, conscientious of the rights of everybody. That's what makes America a special person, a special place. We don't just pick out one group and say, you're special and everybody else is not. And as long as we can maintain that, be you black, white, brown, yellow, red, it doesn't matter. We will then have the nation that this was meant to be. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Secretary. I consider you a friend and a total patriot. So thank you so much for taking the time to join the Charlie Kirk Show. And as I've told you before, I appreciate your courage. Keep it up. Thanks. Thanks so much. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please visit Turning Point USA, tpusa.com. Get engaged, get involved. Help us financially if you're in the position to do so. Join a chapter, get engaged, get involved. It's tpusa.com. That is tpusa.com. It is the backbone of our country fighting for free markets, fighting for limited government, fighting for the Constitution, fighting for everything that made this country the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. It's tpusa.com. That is tpusa.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Make sure you're subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show. Get one other friend to do the same. And I'll give away five special extra copies right here if you listen all the way through to the end of this episode. If you can prove you are subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show, and you email me your least favorite Democrat in the country. Your least favorite Democrat. First five people that do that, that subscribe to The Charlie Kirk Show, leave us a five-star review, and leave us a review, screenshot it, and send it to me. First five people that do that, I'm going to send you a signed copy of The Mega Doctrine. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. 
So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.